Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, welcome everybody, and Chag Sameach. Happy Shavuot holiday this week. This is one of those weeks where it's a little hard to know which Parsha to talk about. And the reason for that is that which Parsha you're reading actually depends both on where you live geographically, whether you live in Israel or in diaspora, and whether you're in a Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructionist synagogue, or none of the above. And I've explained this in the past, so I'll try not to go into too much detail, but the issue has to do with the fact that in the diaspora, traditionally, holidays are celebrated for two days. And the reason for that is that in ancient times, the way you knew it was a holiday was that the new moon was spotted in Jerusalem. In fact, there was somebody whose job it was to look for the new moon in Jerusalem and announce that the holiday was coming two weeks from now. Holidays are all at the full moon in Judaism. And so they would spread that that news through the countryside. And that works fine in Israel, but in the diaspora, the news didn't always get there quickly enough. And so the tradition developed of observing two days of the holiday to make sure that you were observing it on the right day. That's why there are two days of Shavuot. That's why there's an extra day of Sukkot. That's why there are two seders on Pesach. It's not so that you can spend one night at each set of in-laws. It's because you're actually observing the first day of Passover twice. Now, that practice never developed in Israel because Israel remained close enough to Jerusalem that it didn't matter. Why am I telling you all this? Because this week is Shavuot. Shavuot begins Thursday night and is Friday and Saturday, which means that in the diaspora, the parsha that's being read is the parsha for the second day of Shavuot. Whereas in Israel, Shavuot is only one day. So by Saturday, it's over and they go on to the next parsha which is Nassau. And then we're off sync for a number of weeks with Israel reading a Parsha one week ahead of what the diaspora is reading because they read Nassau this week and the diaspora will read Nassau next week until early July when there's a double Parsha in Israel which brings us back together. Fine. Most of my listeners aren't in Israel anyway. Why does that matter? It matters because Reform and Reconstructionist synagogues, for the most part, do not observe the second day of the holiday either. The Reform movement did away with it, essentially because the calendar has been set, scientifically speaking, and we no longer use that practice of spotting the new moon. So on a week like this, where Saturday is also Shavuot, Conservative and Orthodox synagogues are still celebrating the holiday and reading the Parsha for Shavuot. Reform synagogues are not celebrating the holiday for the most part and are reading the next Parsha, Nassau, and then they get off sync as well. However, to further complicate this, many Reform synagogues, because we live in diaspora, don't want to be off sync, so they'll do something to stay on sync with the diaspora, often reading next week's Parsha, Nassau, twice, both this Saturday and next Saturday. All this is to say, 
I can't tell you what Parsha you'll hear in your synagogue this week. It'll probably either be Naso or the Parsha for Shavuot. And then for the next five, six weeks until early July, there will be two different cycles of Parsha readings out there. I'm going to follow the traditional cycle for purposes of clarity, which means I'm going to talk about Shavuot this week, and then Naso the following week, and then so on and so forth after that. However, if you're in a Reform or Reconstructionist synagogue in the Diaspora, or if you're in Israel, it's possible that your synagogue might be reading the Parsha that I talk about on the week before I release it. If that's the case, and it probably will only affect a small number of our listeners, then it will end in early July anyway when the two cycles come back together. Everybody got all that? Okay. So the traditional parsha for the second day of Shavuot is a selection from Deuteronomy chapter 14 through 16. Yes, I know we're in numbers, but for this week only we take a break and go to Deuteronomy. The main thing that gets talked about in this section of Torah is the holiday cycle. That makes sense for a holiday Torah reading. And the main message is the idea that Jews are supposed to appear in person, are supposed to show up for God and for each other on the three pilgrimage festivals. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Shalosh pa'amim bashana, three times a year. And then it lists out the three times a year, the Feasts of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths, that is to say, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Yera'e kol zechorcha et penei Adonai Elohecha. All of the males of your people shall appear before Adonai your God. B'makom asher yivchar, in the place that God chooses. And when the Torah says that, the place that God chooses, or the place where God's name will be caused to rest, that's kind of code for the temple in Jerusalem. So we have here a command for the entire community to show up in person at the temple in order to appear before God. But it's worth noting, and you may have already noted as I was saying that sentence, it's not the entire community. It actually says, all of your males. So it's really only all of the men who are commanded to show up in person for this holiday. And I have in front of me the Women's Torah Commentary, published by the CCAR Press, the Central Conference of American Rabbis, and it says the following. What this rule is meant to convey about females is not clear, especially given that chapter 12, verse 12, and other passages expect women to be present during festival celebrations as well. So the women's commentary points out a kind of a discrepancy for us here, and it's one that we're probably familiar with from our own religious lives, which is that sometimes the Torah wants to include women in these holidays, and here it actively excludes them. And the inclusion of women is actually not marginal to the celebration of the holiday. For example, with regard to the holiday of Pesach, women are specifically given a traditional Jewish obligation to do things like eating matzah and uh, refraining from eating chametz, eating um, 11 things during the holiday. And similarly, with regard to Sukkot, the festival of Sukkot, which happens in the fall, again, the women's commentary points out 
that Sukkot is to be celebrated with the entire community, including all female and male family members and the marginalized elements of society. So I won't argue that ancient Judaism is egalitarian, because it's far from it, but there is an active, inclusive strain of our tradition that seeks to make sure that everybody gets to celebrate all these holidays together, regardless of gender, regardless of socioeconomic stratum. Uh, We're told that there should be the same law for the foreigner as well as the citizen. We're told that the obligation to celebrate these holidays falls on everybody regardless of gender. In fact, these holidays were largely family celebrations. They involved big meals. They involved the coming together of a family to celebrate a bountiful harvest or to celebrate the gifts that God had given us this year. That's not so different from what holidays often are for us. We come together around the table and we celebrate. And we can't imagine doing that without all members of the family. And I believe ancient Israelites were the same. So what's going on here? Why are only the men included in this particular element of the festival celebration, which is showing up in Jerusalem? The traditional understanding of this is that women are being exempted from this because they had other obligations, largely family obligations, taking care of the household, taking care of the children. So they couldn't be asked to travel to Jerusalem on the holiday because they were busy with even more important things. And that sounds nice. There's something nice about that, except that we have to recognize that, number one, this relegates women to a particular role without giving them a choice as to whether they wish to have that role or not. And it restricts their activity based on the assumption that that's the role that they will be playing. We know that. That's often been the situation of women throughout history. And more specific to Jewish law, this is a great example of something that the halakhic system often does that might feel nice but isn't actually all that nice. And that is that it exempts people, but what it's really doing is excluding them. That is to say, the Torah here and later the Talmud and Jewish law in general, exempt women from this because they have other obligations to fulfill. But in Judaism, someone who is exempted from something is traditionally generally excluded from that thing as well. That is why, for example, women are not allowed in a traditional setting to lead prayers in the sanctuary because women are exempt from praying three times a day. They don't have to pray three times a day. And when you are exempted from something, you are actually excluded from that thing. So you're getting a little bit of a rant from me about this today, and there's a much larger conversation to be had about this with regard to how various movements in Judaism, how various Jewish groups have tried to become more inclusive by changing the relationship between exemption and exclusion. But as a liberal Jew and as a reform rabbi, and as someone who's way over his seven minutes time, let me just say two things about this. Number one, I'm proud to be part of a Jewish movement that believes explicitly in egalitarianism that believes that it's not the role of the community to assign 
roles to people based on gender, to assign what you're included in and excluded from, what you're obligated in and not obligated in, based on gender. I believe, and liberal Judaism largely teaches, that people can make their own decisions about those things. We can build a meaningful practice for ourselves based on who we are and what's meaningful to us, not on gender roles. That's the first thing. And the second thing, and maybe even more importantly, is looking at this Parsha is a reminder that egalitarianism and inclusiveness have not been a straight line in Judaism. It's not like ancient Judaism was least inclusive, medieval Judaism was middle inclusive, and in modern Judaism we're most inclusive. That's not the case at all. Right here in the Torah, we can see strains of thought that are more and less inclusive. We can look at a parsha like this one that excludes women from participation in a major part of the festival celebration. And we can also look elsewhere in the Torah and see that they are included in really significant ways. And because we know that there are different authors and different groups and different philosophies represented in the Torah, we can see that this has always been an ongoing conversation and debate within Jewish tradition. Which brings me back to Shavuot, which is the holiday of the giving of the Torah. Best way to celebrate Shavuot is to participate in this ongoing sacred conversation that we Jews have been having for 3,000 years now. And we do that through study, we do it through reading, we do it through learning. Oh, and we also do it by eating cheesecake. So Chag Shavuot Sameach, Happy Shavuot. A quick reminder that this Thursday at noon Eastern Time, I'm offering a class on Zoom that's called, Do We Really Still Believe in the Chosen People? If you want to join us, go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, and you can sign up. And I look forward to seeing you in the classroom, and I look forward to continuing this Torah journey with you next week. Thanks for listening. 7-Minute Torah is a production of Laasok. Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoy this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7minutetorah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.